But as for today, we're going to be looking at James again, chapter 5. This is a bit of an old school sermon in the, in, the, in the context that I grew up hearing stuff like this. And um, we're going to shift our focus a little bit today because James is trying to shift the church's focus. So why don't you stand with me for reading of the word and then I'll let you sit down for the rest of the, our time together. James chapter five, starting in verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may, be, may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purposes of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear by either heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, Lord. We pray that because we were together looking into it, it would change us. You said it would renew our minds when we did that. We know your presence is here. We know your word has the ability to transform the way we think and then in turn change what we do. And so we pray that that would happen. We'd be more like Jesus today because we were together. Thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. To start out, actually not with verse 7, but verse 12, because it seems like it was tacked on, kind of James was addressing some little, uh, the church would, the people would make statements and then swear by them, almost like adding validity to it. And James is saying, hey, if you're a believer, don't do that. Just if you're going to say something, make it true. It doesn't have to be extra true. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no, period. Wouldn't that help today in our, in our current climate? Wouldn't that help if when, if when somebody said something, you just knew it? They didn't have to swear, take an oath. They just, you just knew it was to be true. So James is talking to the church saying, hey, it, if, you're, if you're a follower of Christ, make sure what you say. You don't have to add, I make an oath or I swear by this or I swear by that. Just it's true. That would be helpful, amen? All right. My yes be yes and my no be no. That's it. Done. End of story. If I say it, if it comes out of my mouth, it'll be accurate. Can we make that agreement with each other? All right. I trust you. You trust me. See how long that lasts. All right. Let's go back up to verse seven. So what happens, so we talked last week, James kind of points the beginning of chapter five, not towards the church, but to, he's calling, talking about rich oppressors, people that are oppressing the poor and the way they go about doing it. When we get to verse seven, we know he's addressing the church again because he says brothers. And he is actually referring back to the oppression, if you will, or the mistreatment 
that the church was experiencing by the hands of wealthy. And he's saying, be patient in verse seven, be patient, be patient. How many of you like being patient? You know, the older I get, you would think the more patient you would become. I'm finding out that's not true. I'm finding out that I would like to be patient, but the older I get, the more I like it the way I like it. Anybody else experienced that? I just like it the way I like it. And I want it the way I like it right now. So what happens is um, James says, be patient. And there's a clarifying statement he makes after that that is one of the most important things. And I think it's something the church misses most of the time. He says, be patient. Do you remember what he says? Be patient until your stuff is fixed. No, that's not what he says. Put verse seven up there. Be patient, therefore, until your bank account fills up with money. Be patient until your husband does what you ask him to do every day. Be patient until your kids listen. Be patient until your boss appreciates you. Be patient until you get that new car for Christmas like you saw in the video so many times. He doesn't say that, does he? It kind of baffles me that he's dealing with injustice but talking about patience, but he doesn't talk about the end of injustice. He doesn't say be patient until injustice is gone, until your, uh, things are made right in your life. He says be patient until the coming of the Lord. And that presents a problem. That presents a problem because I don't know how long I'll have to be patient. I grew up in a Pentecostal church growing up, and I remember old people when I was little. Uh, when I was little, when I was young, seven, eight, nine years old, I remember old people in their 80s, and they used to pray like Jesus was coming that day. Anybody remember that? And I used to think, when I got to be a teenager, I thought, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea or not if he comes back right now. I used to remember them the songs they sang were about Jesus coming back. The way they prayed was about Jesus coming back. Everything, their mindset was this earth was not all it was cracked up to be. There was nothing here that would want me to stay a second longer than Jesus returning right now. They were, they were confident the return of the Lord. Now, when James wrote this, they were way more confident than even those people were. When James wrote this, they believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. The problem with us today is there's been 2,000 years separating us, and we're just kind of like, I mean, he's not really coming back now. I mean, not now. It's been 2,000 years. Why would he come back tomorrow? And so we've got this long pause in the middle that seems like it's taking forever and forever and forever and forever. And the church, the modern day church has really put the return of Christ off as a, like a side note. But James, we read James and he's like, I want you to be patient in suffering until the return of the Lord. And I started realizing that that's, that's a different message than the American gospel. Don't be patient don't be patient. Be persistent until God fixes whatever you don't like. So we have, we have a little bit of a, a problem here because James is telling us to be patient for a person and we're trying to be patient to get a problem fixed. 
And that's going to cause a little bit of contention there. Patience was the evidence of a life relying on God. James was not directing them to be, to be patient until they get justice or fairness or revenge or a bigger salary. He instructed them to be patient until they got Christ. They were not waiting on something. They were waiting on someone. They were waiting on a savior. They weren't waiting on, on everything just to be perfect the way they wanted it. Hey, could I just throw this in here? As soon as you get it the way you want it, it's going to irritate somebody else. Did you ever think about that? Because I've hung around some of you a little bit and I was like, ah, I don't want anything like that. I'm glad you do, but I don't. Some of you live with those. Never mind. That's a different sermon. Um, the, the, the issue is this. We all have our idea of what stuff is supposed to look like. It's all different. All different motivations. And so James doesn't even, James doesn't even mess around with what the church wanted. He was telling them, this is who you need to seek after. And when he comes, all this will be over. There won't even be an opportunity for injustice because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to come and injustice will be no more. So he tells them right up front. He says, be patient, but don't be patient until things look like you think they should look. Be patient until the one who can fix everything shows up. Be patient for someone, not something. So let me ask you this. How would you change the way you react to people who've wronged you? If you weren't waiting on them to fix it, but you were waiting on the one who makes everything right. How much more freedom would it give you if you weren't waiting on somebody else to, to stop the injustice? If you just said, you know what? I'm waiting on Jesus to come and fix it all. How would it change? You know what? I turned on the news the other day and I heard there was an election coming in November. I was like, who knew? I couldn't believe it. Call me off guard every four years. Wow, hadn't heard anything lately. I think some of us are praying not for Jesus, but for a political party. James didn't say be patient until your political party wins. He said be patient till the Lord comes. You know what I figured out over the 44 years that I've lived and the however many years that I was allowed to vote? Some people get elected, some people don't, and then some people get elected, and then some people don't, and then guess what? Some people get elected, and then some people don't, and it never gets fixed. And the worst thing the church could do is to hook our wagon to a bunch of, to a bunch of inconsistent, imperfect people when James says, don't be patient just to get what you want, be patient to get the one. So we get all riled up over these insignificant, really insignificant. I, listen, I know this is the most important election ever. I know it. Every election is the most important election ever because it's the one happening right now. The injustice that was going on in James' time for the church was important. It wasn't insignificant. There's people suffering. It wasn't insignificant. James wasn't just going to oh, forget about it. He wasn't just saying ignore it. He wasn't saying, he wasn't telling the church to be flippant towards somebody else's pain. He was just telling them, look, in the scope of humanity, sin has crept in. And the only one that can really fix that is Jesus. So he's saying, while you are suffering, wait on him. <laughs> 
Wait on him. Don't wait on heaven on earth. Don't, don't, don't put all your faith in that this thing's going to turn one day and, and it all going to be just like you like it. And it's, you know, every cake's going to have your type of icing on it. Cream cheese, by the way. All you guys that like that fluffy stuff is weird. I told you it was the way the old church that I grew up in prayed. And then I realized they got it. They got those prayers from the Psalms. Psalms 25 verse four, make me to know your ways. O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for you. I wait all day long. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 62, five for God alone. Oh, my soul wait in silence for my hope is from him. Psalm 135 through six, wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than the watchman. For the morning, if the church got back to waiting on God instead of waiting on people. You know what the funny thing is? If you waited on God, you'd be more patient with people. <laughs> if you waited on God, you'd be more patient with people because you'd understand that people aren't going to fix it. Now, this is not... This does not change the narrative that the church needs to act like Christ. This does not need to change the narrative that James says, don't treat anyone with partiality. This does not change the narrative that we shouldn't fight and argue with each other because we're not getting our own way. This does not change the way that James says to live out your faith and through, through works. This does not change any of that, that you're supposed to treat each other the way Christ treated us. It does not change that. It says our ultimate hope is not that the world will be made perfect. Our ultimate hope is that the perfect one will come. Amen? That changes the way you think about life on a daily basis. That means I can have grace for you because I know you're as imperfect as I am and you're probably not going to get totally fixed. Oh, man. Some of your bubbles just got popped right there. You mean they're not going to get better? I don't know. All I know is Jesus is coming. James said, be patient for Jesus to come. That's who's going to fix it. That's who's going to fix it. That's who's going to fix the pain in your back. That's who's going to fix the the heartache in your heart. That's going to fix the disappointment. He's going to fix the letdown. He's going to fix the regret that you have. He's going to fix. He's going to fix the way you screwed up the last five years. He's going to fix all of that stuff beyond what anybody else could fix it. Nobody else, James says. If there was somebody else that can fix it, James would have said, hey, wait on that person. Wait on yourself to get better. But he didn't. He said, be patient for the return of the Lord. That's when all injustice will be corrected. He said, be patient because God is coming. Then he gives an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, it's funny. Um, I've never seen an impatient farmer. Did you ever think about that? You ever seen a farmer? We live, we live uh, with some farms around us. I never saw a farmer plant a field 
walk out the next day and just throw up his hands like this. Like, it didn't work. Kicking the dirt. Stupid dirt. Planted yesterday. Got nothing. Maybe we should treat our families more like farmers treat dirt. Do you ever think about that? James gives the example of being patient until the end because it's the end that the farmer knows that he's going to receive what was coming. James says, here's the way the farmer acts. The farmer doesn't even get excited. He knows there's a little bit of rain at the beginning, but he knows it's the rain at the end that's going to make the whole thing come together. So he doesn't even get excited in the middle. He just waits patiently for the latter rain. And then when the latter rain comes, the crops just What if you could be more patient with your 13-year-old? They're 13. You just planted the corn. What if you could be more patient with your 4-year-old? What if you could be more patient with your 60-year-old husband? You just... Yeah. Yeah, you thought he had a little experience on him. In the scope of eternity, he just got planted. Mm -hmm. He says, be patient. Be patient like the farmer is patient. I started looking back. How much more patient could I be if I realized there was a process that God was working out in every single person's life sitting in this room? And that just because, just because I said one thing or I did one thing or I, or I did some good deed and they didn't turn automatically, that's like the farmer walking back out looking at the ground going, oh, I can't believe it's not grown yet. And the God's sanctification process is working its way through the church like planting corn. And waiting for the thing to grow. I'm being patient for the return of Christ because he's going to make you as perfect as me. I mean, when we're there, not right now. (laughs) We could be patient with each other then, couldn't we? Knowing we were all waiting for the same thing. The waiting on the fulfillment of the coming of Christ. He said, be patient. One more thing he says there before we leave the patient part. It wasn't an inactive patience. Do you realize that? He didn't say, hey, I'm going to come back, sit around, watch Netflix till I do. He makes a statement, establish your heart. Get ready. Get ready. Jesus would tell stories about being ready for the return. He's saying, establish your heart. Be ready. Be grounded for the coming of Christ. Stop being somebody that's just looking at every circumstance, wondering if God's faithful. Be grounded in the word. What we do every Sunday morning, dig. That's why I tell you, it's not just the verse of the day. You've got to dig into the word of God and be established so that when things do come along, you know, I don't know if he's coming. I don't know what's happening. No, I know that he's coming. And what's happening right now in my life is not going to dissuade me from believing that. He is the one who fights for me. He's the one who can move heaven and earth. He's the one that will make all things new. He's the one. So I can be patient. Then James kind of likes to loop back around. You know, he's talked about before already about grumbling and fighting within the church. And he said, he said, what starts quarrels and fights among you that, that you don't get what you want? And so you're envious and jealous and all these things. And he, and he even says kind of hyper, hyperbolically, like you commit murder. 
I don't think they were killing each other in the church. That'd be a weird worship service. He swings back around to that, but it's a little more subtle this time. And I hope I get to include everybody in this. Don't you feel like it when we all sin together? Don't you feel good about that? When we're all included? <laughs> you ready? Verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Can I just say this before we, we get any more into this? Patience at times it makes me irritable. Anybody else? Now, if you're one of those gracious people who can just be patient, we all don't, no, none of us like you to start out with. But, um, but just for me, the longer I wait, the more I'm like, are you kidding? Really, it's going to take that long. My personality type is just to make things happen. Let's get it done. Come on. We'll just all go in together. And then, and then I'm waiting on you. Like the whole world came to a stop because of you. And, and I'm going, I don't understand why you can't just, let's go. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. So when God, teach me, when God teaches me patience to wait on the coming of the Lord, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I don't know, I'm just a little irritable. James knew that, so he talks about it. He said, don't grumble with each, each other. But the word grumble there, it, it means like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to catch everybody here just to warn you. It means an inner, like, sigh. Have you ever done that? You ever waiting on somebody? You just went. <sighs> How are you? I'm fine. Couldn't, couldn't be better. <sighs> what do you keep breathing heavy for? <sighs> I got an Apple watch. Tells me my heart rate is, is about 130 right now. 130 beats per minute, trying to get that down a little bit, waiting on you. Everything's okay in here now. You ever done that? You ever had so much grumble inside of you, just let it out in a, in a breath of air? Who knew that just exhaling could communicate so much about your attitude? Who knew? Who knew that the same amount of breath coming out on two different mornings could communicate something totally different to your spouse? Well, wait a second. You exhaled yesterday and it seemed happy. Today you're like, the same breath, two different communication styles. And James says, don't let bitterness build up so much that it changes the way you breathe. This patience thing isn't going to be easy. There's going to be things that drive you crazy. There's going to be pain in your body that makes it difficult. There's going to be injustice in our society that you can't even fathom is still happening. There's going to be things that happen over and over and over again because sinful people run a sinful world. And the whole earth, the Bible says, is groaning out, waiting on its creator to come back. And when he does, you won't have to sigh anymore. But he said, in the meantime, breathe like you're happy. Don't grumble against each other. Don't let the bitterness build up inside of you to the point where it's starting to show in your face and show in your breath. He said, don't fight. He's already told us that. He's swinging back around saying, don't fight. So I wrote a couple of Proverbs down about not fighting. Chapter 
Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms the quarrel. Proverbs 21, 19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. That one didn't make it up on the screen. Sorry, wrong sermon. I thought I'd throw it in there. <laughs> it's the Bible. I didn't make it up. Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control. Then one who takes the city said, man, you can overcome anything, but if you don't have patience, it's pointless. James is trying to teach us that we're all on the same road, waiting for the return of our Savior. Be patient. We're all running this race together. We're all running this race together. Look around the room. You're running with the same people who have the same fears, the same failures, the same sin, the same injustice. He's saying, don't let, don't let the idea of being patient start bitterness in your heart. Don't make it look like God is not moving. Don't start thinking that God is not moving. We actually, you know what? We actually know. We actually know that he's patient. He says he's, he's not slow as some of you think he's slow, like just unconcerned and not moving, but he's slow because he doesn't want anybody to perish. So the actual thing that irritates us about God is his love towards us. The actual thing that makes us, so why don't you fix this, Lord? Because if I fix it the way you wanted me to fix it, nobody would see me. Man, you know how many times I've had to think about that? Lord, if you fix it the way I would fix it, I'd probably be the only one happy right now. He said he's patient because he didn't want people to perish. Not because he's flippant towards our circumstance. Here's what I started figuring out. I started figuring out the thing that makes me irritated and grumble against you is the very plan God is using to save the world. I started realizing how can I be so upset when his will is being done? How can I grumble? How can I let out the... Because at the end of the day, I'm not waiting on God. I'm waiting on him to fix you. And James says, I'm waiting on the wrong thing. James says, I'm waiting on the wrong thing. He says, wait, be patient on the return of Christ. Not for everybody around you to be perfect. If you're waiting on your spouse to be perfect right now, <laughs> it's an encouraging Sunday. Give up. Tap out. I'm done. I'm done. 24 years. I was getting ready to say she's still not perfect, but she is. I'm not perfect. I'm not stupid either. If you're waiting to find the perfect job, give up. If you're waiting to find the perfect church, give up. The perfect political party, give up. The perfect neighbor, give up. Even if you mowed their grass, it wouldn't be perfect. He says, the reason you're impatient is because you're waiting on the wrong thing. The reason the church gets so impatient is because they're waiting. We want to fix. We want, we want heaven on earth. Ah. We want heaven on earth without the one who made heaven. 
You know what my fear is in the American church? We got a lot of what we wanted without him. We got freedom to say whatever we wanted. We got the lights. We got the, we got the video. We got, we got the sound system. We got, we got the money. We got everything we wanted. We could, we could have all the counseling sessions. What's I'm fine with, you know, I go, we got all the stuff and we didn't get him. James is reminding the church. All that stuff is still imperfect without him. That the best you can get is imperfection. And I remember those old people back in the day with their glossy tear-filled eyes looking up to heaven knowing there was something better than anything they had experienced. My kids asking when they were really little, what's heaven like? I said, what do you think? What's like that? It's better than that. He's better than that. He's better than that. It's wipe away every tear better. It's no more pain better. It's no more suffering better. It's no more, it's no more injustice better. It's no more, it's no more preference better. It's no more, it's, it's better than any solution that your mind could come up with, with how society is supposed to act. It's better than that. We're working all day yesterday. We did some work up here. They're working at the house. You know, I'm middle-aged now. I got a back problems. And, and I went to bed last night, my back hurting. And I just started thinking about when you come, my back won't hurt anymore. That's better. When you come, I won't have to worry about my kids anymore. That's better. When you come, I won't have to worry about COVID-19 anymore. Dear When you come, if I could do one thing today, convince you that what he has in store for you is better than whatever you want. No, 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 no I, should, I should rephrase that. That's not accurate. It is, but it's not. It is, but it's not. That's not the whole, the whole picture. It's not just what he has in store for you. I need to convince you that being with him is better. Because we're a transactional society where we get things that make us feel better. And, we, and, and we, we're losing the idea that people's presence make us feel better. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because now we're connected by devices. And so presence isn't as important anymore. But what scripture tells us is his presence is the only thing that's important. It says when he comes, we'll, be com- we'll actually be completed because we'll be with him. Not texting him. Not distant prayer. Not sin separated. It says we'll be with him. Here, I'll I'll prove it to you. Last point. Very simply, Jesus is coming. No, no, no. we're just clapping because Jesus is coming. We're not done yet. We still got about 11 minutes. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming. 
He's coming. It's as real today as it was when James wrote it. James might not have been able to, 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 to make his mind twist to the idea that 2,000 years later people would still be meeting together talking about it. But it's just as sure today as it was then. God hasn't moved the date. He hasn't been confused by it. He hasn't adjusted it because of the, because of the hurricane season. He hasn't moved a single thing in his plan. It's all happening exactly like he set it out to happen. And he's coming. Now, can I be transparent with you? When I was a teenager, I didn't want it to happen because I wanted, there was things on earth I wanted to experience. Come on, anybody? Lord, let me get married, have a couple kids. Three, I guess that's a couple. Lord, there's so much. I don't want to miss all the fun. I used to think that Jesus coming would be missing the fun. You know what? Those 80-year-old women that I used to hear knew that no amount of fun here on earth could compare. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to figure that out. I'm starting to figure out that there's no amount of joy on this planet that compare. It can't. Pales in the comparison. The amount of pleasure I'm able to experience within this body doesn't compare to me meeting him one time. Doesn't compare to me being, being uninhibited in his presence without the, without the presence of sin, just me and him together in perfect harmony. Nothing on this earth that I can experience can even equate to it. And he's saying, I'm coming to give you that opportunity. I'm coming to let you see that. So watch this. The band's going to come up. We're going to end with this. James talks about prophets who spoke about it, who've been waiting patiently. He talks about Job. Actually, they had a little better view of Job than he probably actually was. Job complained. Job wasn't unlike you and me. Job suffered immensely. But James was pointing to people that the church admired and said, look how they, look how they made it. Look how they lasted. He says we've got to be patient the same way he's coming. So I thought about Revelations chapter 21. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Can I tell you right now, God is not trying to fix what is broken. He's replacing it. He's not coming to put duct tape on it. That's what we do in West Virginia. And then we step back and go, it's fixed. <laughs> Ain't no way that thing can leak. I wrapped it four times. At best, we duct tape our lives. And Jesus is not coming to add another layer of duct tape. He's coming to replace it. He isn't coming to to put medication on your old body. He's coming to give you a glorified body, a new one. Amen. Somebody say amen for new bodies. So revelation chapter 21, 
It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Thank the Lord, somebody. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with. You know how he fixes everything? He just comes down with us. That's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is not to be happy absent of God. It's the goal is to be happy in the presence of God. At the end of the day, it doesn't say your team wins. It says he comes down and dwells with us. At the end of the day, it doesn't say all of our hopes and dreams came true. No, it says God himself comes down and dwells with us. What you have to convince yourself today as a Christian is that's better than your hopes and dreams coming true. That's better. The God of all the universe, new heaven and new earth, comes down and dwells with man. (laughs) And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm going to read verse 4. Come on, some of you need to listen to this right now. He's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. Every tear, every disappointment, every failure. Every broken heart, every pain, every time. Every time you were let down, every time you were devastated, every time you were hurt, it said he will wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. There'll not be any more mourning. Nor crying, nor pain. Now, now I need you to understand something, church. It says, for the former things have passed away. This is not God getting you over a disappointment. This is not God getting you over pain. This is not God putting you on a medical regimen so that you don't feel pain anymore. It says all the old things have passed away. So he's actually saying there will be nothing to be painful anymore. There will be nothing that you will ever mourn. There will be nothing to cry over. There will be nothing. He's coming. He says this. And he who is seated on the throne said, this is not somebody else talking. This is not a commentary on Jesus. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Amen. I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. Listen, I know, I know a lot of people are walking through a lot of things in here. And here's my message to you. James says, be patient. The one who will make all things new is coming. He's coming. Here's the confidence you can have. In this life, there will be pain. In this life, there will be difficulty. In this life, there will be injustice. But the one who will fix it all is coming. And he is the one you can place your trust in this morning. He and him alone. No circumstance no amount of money, no relation. You can't place your trust in anything else but him. He is the only one that can make it new. Amen. Can we do that today? Lift your hands all across the building and let's put
today. Lord, we are being patient. We believe you are coming and soon. God, we ask you to give us the patient confidence, Lord, to walk through whatever it is we are walking through right now. Lord, the confidence that you are going to make it new. Lord, that you are not just going to fix it, you're going to replace it, Lord. God, that we can know that you're coming. Lord, we ask you to do these things. We ask you to give us that confidence. We ask you to give us that hope. Not in these circumstances, but in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are yours, and you have prepared for us, Lord. And we are looking forward to that day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you give him praise and honor this morning? He deserves it. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody. Be patient this week.